Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. got to the point where you're really ready to stop drinking can you admit hand on your heart that you cannot moderate and there is no point forcing yourself around and around the ferris wheel do you want to get sober but don't know where to start or do you wish that you could get some positive results this time in my private membership group thrive you will find the recipe to get and stay successfully sober thrive offers wonderful support guidance on how to start how to get past specific challenges and it also includes weekly zoom meetings there are many people that have joined thrive on day one and now they're celebrating milestones they've never achieved before visit www.sassysobermum.com thrive for more info or to sign up hello and welcome to sober stories from everyday people Today, I have Susanna, who's in Hampshire in England, and she has been sober nine months today. Woo! <laughs> Congratulations. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, Terry. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm over the moon that I got to nine months. So, yeah, thank you. You should be. It's amazing. And uh, you will be celebrating your year in April. And uh, we were just chatting, weren't we, before we came uh, online that April's also my soberversary month. So we're saying it's nice to have a soberversary in spring. Let's get to know a little bit about who you are. Um, yeah, please tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, my name's Susanna. I'm uh, 42. I was 42 in September. Um, first and foremost, I'm a mum. So I've got three lovely boys. Um, my eldest just turned 11. My middle one is five and I have a little one who's two and a half. So quite a big age range there. Um, and I'm married to a wonderful man who's really supportive and great. And he's called Alistair. Um, and I work full time as well. I've got my own company. So, um, I, my background is concierge. So I now look after. I look after about 12 clients um, on a day-to-day basis and do all the things they don't want to do, basically. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds quite glamorous, actually. Yeah, it's really not. Occasionally, I get the fun stuff like the private jets and the yachts, but generally, it's just about picking people's laundry up and arranging that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. How did, you, how did you get into that then? That is, that's quite, I don't meet many people that do that, especially yeah. in freelance. Well, it's a kind of, I'm, I'm sort of, it's like a high end PA basically. So I do all their personal stuff. Um, but yeah, my background was actually originally TV. Um, I worked on a program called Shipwrecked and Big Brother and things like that. Um, back in the day. Um, and then I went into concierge. Uh, so a big concierge company in London. And then, you know, after children, I moved away and, um, and yeah, started doing it for myself, which is going really well. Oh, that's fantastic. Shipwrecked, that was a big programme, yeah, wasn't it? It was, it really was. Sunday morning, hungover. Yeah, hungover. Yeah. yeah, D4. Wow, that's amazing. Um, we're really similar. I'm a mum of three as well. We have fairly similar ages. I've got nine, seven and two. Yeah, so Yes, it's very <laughs> full on. Yeah. And I also work full time as well, like you from home. So lots of lots of similarities there. Um so let's jump into your story. I'm, I'm really excited to find out about all of this. So describe your life with alcohol. Start from the beginning. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, towards the end, it got fairly chaotic. Um, but, you know, starting from the beginning, um, I actually went to boarding school. So I was at boarding school a few weeks before my eighth birthday, um, which was obviously is now having children that age. It's sort of mad to think that um, it's so young, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but there was quite a bit of drinking going on there around sort of 13, 14, um, of which actually I didn't get involved. Um, I was always quite anti-drinking at that age. And I, I don't know if I saw something on TV or what it was, um, but I was always worried when my parents had dinner parties that someone would get drunk. Um, and I was quite 
sensitive to that actually um so I didn't really have I didn't actually start drinking probably until I was about 16 or 17 and you know with the odd cider in the pub and and that kind of thing mm. um, and then it just sort of progressed slowly from there I don't feel like I was doing anything differently to any of my friends at the time in my mid early early 20s you know we'd be yeah. going out um and going to clubs in London um and just yeah it was normally a kind of a Thursday Friday Saturday thing um mm-hmm. and then Sundays at the picture and piano in Fulham um which is pretty hideous dancing on tables at midnight on Sunday and then you know we were able just to get up and go to work um yeah. Monday morning Yes. So I think in my 20s, there was nothing sort of amazing or shocking or different. Um, the one thing I will say is that I've always had suffered with horrendous hangovers, um, oh. really, really bad. Um, I'd get the head spins, you know, after a few drinks and I'd know instantly that was game over and I needed mm-hmm. to go home because I was going to be sick. Um, and I think by the time I'm, I was 30, I turned 30, they really got appalling um almost overnight actually um so so much so that I was waking up I think the first time I was sick in the morning was when I was you know in my well very early 30s probably just turned 30 I I was still drinking socially um I wasn't I never really made a massive idiot of myself you know no more than anybody else really at the time Mm. um but I I mean for me I know the reason really behind why I started drinking and it's um it started with certain events that happened basically in my early 20s so much so that I think various because of various traumas I've actually managed to block out most of my 20s um not from being blackout drunk but just from my brain not being able to cope really with the traumas so um I'll you know I'll talk a little bit about that um which is sort of the next sort of progression really so when I was 22, um, I lost my mum really, really suddenly. So one minute she was here and then the next she she wasn't here anymore. And, um, and that was absolutely devastating. She was my best friend when I was, you know, growing up. And I was always really, really close to her. And I've got two much bigger sisters. So uh, one's nine years older than me and one's 11 years older than me. So I was sort of almost an only child and she'd always call me her little surprise. I mean, I probably was a bit of a mistake, but um, she always said that I was the little one at the end. And I did have a really, really special relationship with her. Um, So that was a massive shock for me. And that was really, really traumatic. Um, She actually had um, undiagnosed leukemia. Um, and she never, you know, she it's amazing. She never said that she was unwell or tired or anything. And actually... It, it just happened very suddenly. So she had a stroke and then a brain hemorrhage and, and that was it. And I really felt very alone. Um, you know, my father obviously didn't, wasn't dealing with it well. They'd been married for, at the time, um, over 35 years, I think, at the time. Um, and he's never been without her. So the whole thing was really, really difficult. And both my sisters obviously devastated as well, but they had much younger children at the time. So um, it kind of, you know, I know what it's like now that I've got children. It, you know, you have to get up and you have to do stuff and you have to look after them. But for me, I just felt really alone. Mm. Um, so that happened. And then the next thing that happened was 14 months later, um, I was actually um, involved in the Boxing Day tsunami in oh my Thailand. God. Oh, my yeah, God. So I was on a little island called Koh um, Phi um, which is a really small island and it, got completely um demolished basically by the by the waves that came and I was right in the middle of that so you know obviously I was away for Christmas and um with my boyfriend then of the time and um I was going away for Christmas because I didn't really want to be at my house or be at home um without my mum um so that was just you know that was obviously really terrifying and I saw really traumatic awful things there um, and then, you know, when I came back to London, lots of my friends, you know, how I've got a lot of great friends, or at the time I had a lot of great friends. Um, and I don't think anyone really knew how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't offered any, you know, trauma counselling or or anything really. It was just sort of like, oh, just let's just get on with it and carry on going to the clubs and coming, carry on going out and 
you know, having dinner parties on a Saturday night and getting drunk, going to work. Um, I mean, it's it's mad, really, when I look back at it. And I was so young, you know, and I now I can say that when I'm 42. But when you're 22, really, without being patronising to those really young listen, listeners, you are, you know, you're a baby still. You've got a lot, a lot of growing up to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, yeah, I was very alone, those two things. I had a wonderful boyfriend at the time, but I then started behaving in really erratic, um, really erratic ways. And I would push him away. That sort of self-sabotage started. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd see how far I could push him. I'd do, you know, treat him really badly, start rouse, that sort of, you know, chaotic drunkenness, um, mm-hmm. attention seeking, all of those sort of things. And normally when I was drunk as well. Um, and yeah, it was just a really awful pattern I got into really in my twenties. Um, but still looking back, I still don't think I was, I mean, I probably was drinking to cover up the trauma and the pain, but actually not, I still hadn't started the sort of regular drinking. Um, it was more sort of occasionally and socially. Um, and then I, I had my first baby when I was 31 and, uh, I, I'm afraid the trauma continues. I um, I had something called preeclampsia, mm. uh, which was also undiagnosed. So I then went into um, an early labour at when he when I was um, I had 34 weeks, I think. Right. So um, he was still very small, mm. and I had something called a placenta abruption, mm. yeah. um, which. Um, was yeah really traumatic and um, and difficult and he was in intensive care for a couple of weeks so that was you know really a difficult start to motherhood mm-hmm. um, and followed by postnatal depression um, again undiagnosed and I just felt very unsupported mm-hmm. um, and yeah so we kind of you know my early tw- my early 30s I was still working you know I was I was busy working five days a week at the time. Um, going into the office three days, I managed to negotiate two days at home, which was, you know, good because, you know, what it's like living in London with nurseries and it's really, it's full on, it's full yeah. on. Um, and um, I think that's probably when my drinking started to pick up, really. Mm. Um, again, I, I think I felt fairly isolated at the time and I wasn't really able to process what happened with my with my my son who's fine by the way he's absolutely Mm -hmm. wonderful there's no issues there yeah Um, so yeah so mid-30s definitely you know I started noticing that I was drinking probably more than I should have been you know there was drinking in the evenings um maybe sort of at the time two three glasses would turn into a bottle I was really careful I think not to go over that bottle I had a sort of limit in my head really um right you can't because of terrible hangovers as well um don't go over don't go over that bottle of wine yes I think in my 30s, I was fine having wine in the house um I didn't necessarily when I finished a bottle I didn't automatically look for another one um which is kind of what it progressed to um I then had my second baby uh, and that was all fine actually I was super duper fit at the time and I was running and doing all of these sorts of things um and yeah so we're what are we now we're in um 2017 about 2017 and um and yeah I think that's definitely when I started to realize that there was a little issue and I wasn't happy uh, with myself and I would be self-sabotaging again with my husband and pushing him away and um, feeling really isolated and lonely, but then also not feeling that I can communicate with him. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, like a sort of mental block or a barrier that I'm desperate for a hug. I'm Mm -hmm. desperate for someone to look after me, but at the same time, I couldn't almost let myself, mm. you know, feel that. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's sort of where we were heading. Um, and I had my third baby in lockdown, which obviously lockdown was really difficult and very mm. anxiety-inducing anyway, having mm. a baby in lockdown. I think if it was my first one, that would have been really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, well, you couldn't take anyone with you, could you, and things like that? Yeah. I, I was the yes. same. My, my was in lockdown, my last one, and it was just yeah doing all the appointments on your own and very frightening 
Yeah, it was actually. Um, and it was it was hard to know, especially as I'd had, you know, a very difficult pregnancy the first time. Yeah. I was being kept an eye on, but I really hard, you know, I hardly had any checkups. No, you didn't. I, I was the same. I, hardly anybody. Yeah. Felt, you did feel quite alone and especially at the beginning around the March April time when everything was starting with pregnant women they were very much saying um don't make sure you you know you're it's you're really uh very much kind of the people that you need to watch out for you know yeah. that was that was a big thing and I just remember feeling quite um quite scared actually there was anxiety around catching covid wasn't there that was very frightening and they didn't know what effect it would have mm. on the babies and also. Yeah. Um, and so much so that actually my waters broke at, again, 35 weeks. So I was early. Yeah. Um, and so went into hospitals, in hospital for a few days then. Um, and um, unfortunately, my, um, my, my third baby, um, he, again, he's absolutely fine now. He's two and a half. But um, he was, again, in intensive care for three weeks. He had to have something called a pneumothorax, um, which was really, really scary. And I sort of shut down at this stage. I just, everything from the past, really, my first baby came flooding back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I just couldn't cope, um, really. It just got all too much. Um, and when I did eventually come out of hospital two weeks later, um, we were still going back to see him. Um, my sister was here actually looking after the other two boys and she said oh you know first night she said oh I bought some champagne but obviously we can't have that because he was still in hospital Mm -hmm. Um, but you know had to start with the rosé and I had been in hospital for three weeks at this time and I was feeling quite good I was you know in terms of even though I just had you know another c-section but I felt okay and I really wish I hadn't had that drink actually I really really do um but yeah, and that was it really from then. So July 2020, I pretty much started drinking nightly after that. Mm. Um, you know, I would, I'd be having with a newborn baby. I was never breastfeeding. Um, but yeah, I'd be having a glass of, a glass of wine, um, bottle of wine, sorry, pretty mm. much most, most nights. Yeah. Um, and the hangovers, I think my tolerance obviously grew, but if I did go out or um, I went over that bottle of wine, I would feel shocking. I would really, really feel awful. So much so that, you know, I wasted so many days in bed um, mm. and being sick and missing events or missing, not being able to take my children to rugby or, you know, I have having to make excuses. My husband was quite often make, having to make excuses for me, which is, you know, it's a horrible, that sort of self-loathing, Mm. Um, horrible feeling really yeah yeah god wow that's a lot sorry that's a lot. no no oh. do, do you know do you know what um one thing that I feel like I learn doing this podcast is people have a lot to deal with you know your traumas are in your shape I've got mine the lady that I interviewed last week, she, you know, everybody's got their stuff, haven't they? And and that's the thing, isn't it? Is that I guess some people more than others for sure. And I think for you, um, yeah, I, I think, I think losing your mum as well, like that, you know, 22 and it's unexpected loss that, that must've been so, such a difficult, it's almost like the catalyst in some ways really, isn't it? That, but then maybe, you know, I know people sometimes say going to boarding school at eight was, it's almost like it kind of instigates that feeling of of abandonment that that I, I really suffered with that in my life. I don't know if that you're you're shaking your head, so maybe that's something that yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I've really realised that actually yeah. over the last few months that that is a real you know issue. Yeah. I do feel, and I think that's one of the reasons why I did this self sabotaging in previous relationships, mm. and even with my husband. It's testing, I'm, isn't it? Are you going to leave? Are you going to leave me? Are you yeah. going to what can I do to make you like sort of almost yeah. prove to myself I can treat yeah. you this way but you're yeah. still here but yeah. yeah very very scared and I you know I still even when my children were young I, I got worried that something bad was going to happen to them um mm. you know I did suffer with um kind of extreme anxiety around certain yeah. situations um which I've just 
which has really lifted since uh, stopping drinking. Um, oh, you know, that how my life looks now compared to how it did is just it's completely different. Yeah. Um, and my outlook as well on these sort of traumatic events, you're absolutely right. Everybody has shit to deal mm-hmm. with. Everybody has, you know, their own stuff to deal with. You know, that is exactly it. Mine looks like that, mm-hmm. but it was also molded me into... Yeah. how I am now um yeah. and I've definitely been able to deal with certain situations so much better in the last few months everything sort of clicked after about six months of sobriety everything really just clicked into oh, place lovely. You know? and yeah. I think I've been doing I mean I have been doing a lot of work on myself mm-hmm. and healing I'm sure and yes um, and I how just, could you not though I mean <laughs> there's so much to work through there in a way isn't there that when you put that drink down a lot I mean it must have felt like yeah just overwhelming sometimes that those well, feelings I didn't I think with with how it was initially was um I was drinking so much that I had I, w- I was still quite an emotional person mm. but I was very disconnected to my feelings yeah. and everything was just shut off in this little box in my head and I wasn't able to um, access it. Or I didn't want to access it. That's where I was. And I just was, you know, the drink would go on top, go on top, go on top. Um, and I was really shutting it away. And I have had to deal with those things head on. Mm. Um, you know, I have had therapy over the last few years. Um, but I don't feel I need that anymore. I don't need to rehash over things. Yes. It's in the past. Yes. And I'm actually happy now to kind of close the door on it and mm. be like, let's look at my positive sober future yeah Yeah, absolutely Um, yes amazing feeling oh well done that's a testament to your courage to do this as well because I mean um alcohol does a wonderful job of blocking things out and when you don't have the coping skills or the tools of how to process trauma who does right <laughs> we're not you know it's, it's I think you, you mentioned something um that really stuck out to me you know that you weren't offered any trauma support and I just I think that is it's so true and 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 we're not I don't think and I think we still probably don't get offered that trauma support there's probably and that's not blaming and I'm not trying to create a blame culture here it's just the facts I think that culturally as a society we need to get better at supporting people with trauma from whatever age that it starts at I mean I had trauma in my childhood I think a lot a lot of people do it doesn't have to be um you know what what does Gabor Mate he says it's not doesn't have to be capital T trauma even small t trauma can be life-changing if you don't know how to process it it's all yeah. relative yeah um, yeah yeah no I I completely I completely agree and I I have I just wasn't I wasn't able to you know deal with those feelings that were, yeah. were coming up properly yeah yes. um, and everything is just so much clearer so yeah. um which oh. is which is you know which is great yeah um, yeah there's still a lot there and yeah. you know, of course I still have you know bad days um mm-hmm. but nowhere near my bad days now um are nowhere near as bad as they used to be um yeah. you know that feeling of kind of self-loathing and anxiety mm-hmm. and depression and everything has is well and truly behind me which yeah. is which is fantastic it's amazing it's amazing and I can see you smiling and it's you know it's lovely because it's 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 like a rebirth you know, I know it sounds quite big and quite deep, but stopping drinking is like a rebirth. And I think just the things that I thought that would be really boring when I was a drinker, like sitting at home on a Sunday with a book and the sun shining outside, but it's frosty and you've got a cup of mint tea and your children are playing, whatever, those, that would be boring to me as a drinker. Now I just, I take so much comfort <laughs> And happiness from that because I know who I am. I like who I am. I'm happy with the relationship I'm building with myself, which is a relationship that I have avoided or ignored through most of my life for similar reasons. I I really relate to a lot of your story 
because I've 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 had I've had some things as well that you've been through. I, the, the first baby um, birth trauma and intensive care had the same thing, and and like you said, there's no trauma support. So it's like you, you, you're coasting along in this pregnancy. Something happens. For me, I wasn't premature, but I was at 30, I was 40, 41 weeks. So I was at term. But when Annie came out, she was blue and she wasn't breathing. Um, and no one knew what was wrong with her. And she went to intensive care. I couldn't hold her. And she got transferred immediately to another hospital in Southampton, an hour down the road. I'd just given birth. I went as well. And they said to me, the hospital said, listen, we don't know if she'll make it through the night. Call us in the morning to see if she survived. And so I went back to my premier in room, had a few glasses of red wine, block out, block out, block out. What I can't cope with this. And in the morning, I had to make that call at 8.30 to say, oh, you know, Annie, yeah, is she okay? It Basically, is she still there? And it's like, when I think about that, it's just, it's so heartbreaking. But like what you said, and I, and I love this, and I really resonate, when you stop drinking, in some ways, you stop being a victim of that stuff because it is quite easy to fall into a bit of a victim mentality, isn't it? Because actually the things that happen are really bad and they are unfair and they are unfortunate. But now I can look back and I think all of these sorts of things shape me to who I am today. And I really like who I am today. And like you said, you, you don't have to keep going over it like a wash. When I was drinking, I think I used to think about those things on repeat all the time and cry about them and listen to sad songs. And I just, I think there was a part of me that was kind of trying to deal with it. But when you're drinking, you can't really, you can't process it. But when you stop, you can just, you can, like you said, work through it, put it to bed and then look forward. And I think that stepping out of that lane into this sort of new forward looking lane is a game changer, isn't it? Absolutely. That is, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. It is, it is that kind of, wallowing self-pity cycle that you can get really um dragged down with definitely because it is everything is really kind of about you and um you feel you feel why is everything happening to me this isn't fair yeah Um, and actually it is a type of acceptance I think that now I've come to realize that yes you know, awful things do happen. And yes, I'll miss my mum every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'm not saying, you know, something else might not happen in, in the future, but I will be much better equipped to deal with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. I will, you know, now that I'm not, you know, sort of drinking all the, the booze and mm-hmm. all the wine just uh, on top of that, I'll be much, much better equipped. Mm-hmm. So um, fingers That's crossed, nice. touch wood that nothing else like that will happen again but you know you never know and life happens yeah I think that's it as well isn't it I think one of the things that I've been learning in my own life is that life is life and you know Buddhism will teach that life is suffering and it's about trying to find the joy and the peace on that kind of craggy road I don't know if they say that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like just trying to, you know, be accept, accept that it's not always good, you know, and it's about how do you navigate. It's easy to feel great when life's going great, isn't it? Really? It is quite easy. But when life's not going great, that's when you sort of, I think being sober and and building those coping mechanisms and even just building the relationship with yourself, like that's, for me, that's been the game changer because I was like you, really hated myself and the things that I did just provoke more shame and that's the cycle isn't it you just don't realize it when you're in it you just have that self-loathing and it's horrible it's horrible to wake up and to feel so down on yourself and to not just not want to prioritize yourself or think that you're you know that you're doing a great job at life or whatever it's it's horrible to be in that frame of mind so to be out of that is just that's where the freedom is I think that's really where the freedom is yeah no absolutely um it you know you I don't think I hated looking at myself in the mirror I hated everything that I saw when I was drinking you know not only the sort of really puffy face yeah um, but just you know the dull skin and Mm. just everything about it I just I just hated Mm. I 
I hated myself so much and I didn't understand why anybody else would then want to be my friend or mm. you know, why my husband would still love me. Yeah. I, it was just a really horrible place to be. Yeah. Um, you know, that sort of depression I'd get with me, what happened was I can now actually work out the anxiety, depression cycles, which before I, I didn't really pay much attention to because I just felt rubbish most of the time. Um, but I was very much would have these sort of anxiety um, inducing feelings for a week or two. And then I would plunge down into this really horrible, dark depression mm. um, for probably normally around three or four days, normally over a weekend. Um, mm. but those anxiety feelings I would just drink on. Um, mm. You know, I was never a daily sort of during the day drinker. I never did anything like that. But it was always that sort of five o'clock um yeah. and then mummy wine culture yes. you know is it's like oh you deserve it it's been a really difficult day it's been really stressful you can have a glass of wine yeah. um I never drank spirits or anything it was always um wine yeah normally same white, normally white yeah. sometimes yeah. rosé um, red in the winter yes yeah exactly exactly yeah. um but the red used to give me terrible he- headaches and yeah I can I really imagine feel sick um yeah. but yeah the white and the rosé like you know amazing and on Saturdays you know if we went to the pub for lunch or something I'd have a couple of roses um and then it was very easy for me then on a Saturday um, my husband might have like a you know a pint of cider or half a pint of beer or something and then not drink for the rest of the day but mm. I'd then come home and that would be my excuse on a Saturday mm. but I've already had two so I can just go on for this afternoon you've, you've opened the gate haven't you like you can't just shut the gate at five yeah. o'clock the first drink that does the damage you know because there's no there's no off switch after that yeah, yeah so, so um so yeah it's just very different now isn't it just mm-hmm. how how you can really just see everything with fresh eyes yeah it, it i think when you you can't unsee what you learn or you can't you know can't unfeel what you learn in sobriety and i think that's one of the biggest things that we need to anchor ourselves to is you know, even I, I know on my um, on my group, there's some uh, ladies in there that have been now they've reached the sort of 60 or 100 days of being sober. And you can tell that they've turned a corner because they're they're going out in social situations and they're sort of maybe looking at people drinking, not not in a judgmental way, but in a sort of like, God, I can't believe I used to do that. And why, you know, and it's like you just. You shift, don't you? If you give it enough time, you you shift. Yeah, and it seems so normal as well. Yeah. You know, when actually I, I've been kind of obviously listening to quite a few different podcasts and listening and reading different things and actually effectively you are just, yeah. you know, drinking poison, aren't you? Yeah, really? well, exactly, yeah. I always think about it like what you put in your car, you know, petrol. It's like just drinking petrol, yeah. um, which is disgusting um but talk to me about um so when you made a decision to stop drinking what did that day look like yeah so I it it didn't just happen actually for me I um I was trying to moderate for a long time you know I was uh, I my sober date's the 30th of um April uh last year but I probably for a good year before that you know it was the first time I was I was probably, I looked up, did those quizzes online, am I an alcoholic at three in the morning? Um, and then always slightly lie with the um, answers. You know, I wasn't drinking vodka at nine in the morning. Mm. I wasn't um, I wasn't sort of blacking out um, every day and falling asleep on my sofa. Um, I had a really, you know, I've got a very full on job. Mm. Um, I was always really working hard and yeah. high functioning I guess mm. um so I was getting all that stuff done yeah. um I just had such this sort of crazy mind um you know mad head a million thoughts a real warrior um mm. so I I just always thought I can moderate you know I must be able to moderate I I did dry January a few times um I used to run quite a lot so I um was able to stop drinking for six or seven weeks it was an effort but I could do it for six or seven weeks. But I was always looking at that end goal. I was always saying, you know, oh, I can't wait till the 1st of February. Or I can't, you know, all right, if I've stopped drinking during the week, I can't wait till Friday night to have a glass of wine. 
That was always my mentality. Mm. I never, ever, ever thought, oh, why don't you just stop drinking? You know, which would have been yeah. the um, sensible thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I never, ever thought that. So I I did actually, it got, I didn't have a rock bottom either. I was, you know, I haven't sort of had any huge catastrophes. I haven't made a complete idiot of myself in any, you know, situations. My husband hasn't ever told me that I have to stop drinking. He would get a little bit concerned um, and at around nine o'clock in the evening when I'd been drinking for four hours, it'd mm. say, look, maybe, maybe don't have, maybe don't have another glass. And that's when I would explode, obviously, because, yeah. you know. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> 100%. You know, and then now I can say to him, if only you'd have that conversation with me when I wasn't drunk, mm. I might have actually you know, not being so defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If you're a bottle of wine down and someone tells you not to drink, I mean, that was, you know, red red rag to a bull, really. Um, yeah. But for me, it just got to a point where we had been, I'd had some people over for dinner. I probably had a couple of bottles of white wine. Um, you know, everybody was drinking. Um, typical, was very, very sick that night. Woke up, I had to do some marshalling at a run in my village. Um, and I was sick behind a bush. I mean, oh, hideous, no. absolutely hideous. Luckily, no one saw, but yeah. I felt green. Honestly, I just felt awful. I had to, I had to just do it. And I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like, this is, this has got to stop. Yeah. Um, and this was on a Sunday and I made that decision. Um, that I, you know, wanted to stop. And actually, I did go to an AA meeting on that Monday night. And honestly, it was the best decision that I've ever, ever made. Um, I know that lots of people have different opinions about AA, but, um, you know, and some people might think that I'm more of a grey area drinker. Um, But ultimately, I think it's all the same thing. I I needed to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had one drink, you know, since then. Brilliant. Um, and it's really, really helped me. Really, really oh, helped. Um, that's amazing. So I, that's I amazing. I can't recommend it enough. So what did you do? So that was the um, first day. And by the way, I, I exactly the same. No big rock bottom. Woke up, just thought, I can't do this anymore. I just got to the dead end. I got to the end, I think. Thank God. You know, I look back now, I think, thank God. <laughs> What did you do to get sober? Did you carry that on? Did you read books? What? Yeah. How did? Yes. Yeah, you- so I, I actually have carried on with AA, and I've met some really fantastic people, and I've got a great sponsor who's actually more like a friend. I know lots oh. of people think that um, your sponsor is one of those people who kind of talks you down when you're outside Tesco about to go and buy a bottle of vodka, but actually that's not the case at all. You know, she knows me. She knows my children. She's an amazing woman. Um, and she's a really good friend who lives very close in my next door village who I, you know, go out for a coffee with. And um, so I am doing that. I did actually start listening to podcasts um, probably about a year before when I was more sober curious, when I mm-hmm. knew that there was an issue, but yeah. I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't there yet. Um, yeah. I listened to an American one called Recovery Elevator, which I really, oh, yes. Yes. Um, with Paul Ch- Churchill, which I you know think is a great podcast Um, and also one with a lady called Trisha um I think it's called I haven't listened to that one for a while because I think she stopped after a couple of seasons um but uh that was really good as well um so yeah I mean I I go to my meetings I do do you know I'm I'm on I'm on my step 11 now um I go to a couple a week it's not the end of the world if I don't go um but it's just nice to know that you're not alone. Yeah. Well, you um, must get that real sense of community as well. That must be, I mean, that face-to-face connection is kind of unbeatable really, isn't it? To, to it be really in a, is. It, yeah. yeah, it really is. And even if you don't want to share, you know, you can sit there and you can listen to these other amazing people. And um, I know people are very scared and sceptical about going to AA. And I was terrified. That, you know, the first day I walked into that meeting, I was terrified there were these people laughing and smiling and you know they were so welcoming and I just burst into tears because I was like actually I haven't talked about this and Mm. like someone these people understand how I feel Um, and it's not all you know 80 year old men with no you know no sort of drinking on a park bench it's really not that there's lots of people lots of mums um lots of similar people who just want to stop drinking yeah Um, so yeah I did I I you know I've been working really hard on myself um 
and trying to to heal. I've been, you know, doing a lot of reading, different things, um, dealing with my anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have been taking it day by day. I don't know if I'll necessarily always be um, worrying about tomorrow, but um, mm-hmm. I definitely think that's worked for me, just concentrate on one day. Um, yeah. And the rest will follow. You know, I can't do anything about yesterday. And at no, the moment, right. I can't do anything about tomorrow. Yeah. So just, yeah. Uh, just look at today. And my sleep, actually, I have to say, because I really suffered with bad insomnia. I had that. I was awake, you know, one o'clock in the morning till 4.30, just with a busy mind. And just, mm. it was awful. Um, and that went on for probably 10, 15 years. I used to get terrible nightmares, actually, as well, after the tsunami. Um, and oh. now I have the best sleep just oh my god it's amazing you know when I oh. do go to bed at 10 30 I just I go to this sort of I can't out. Into the, oh I just love it yeah I know thing. and then you wake up and you're you've got no headache you don't feel sick you don't have that awful thing where you're scared to open your eyes mm. in case you get that blinding headache I used to lie in bed for like half an hour with a hangover, just thinking, I can't move my head. If I move my head, I feel like it might explode. Oh, um, so I know. <laughs> it takes me awful, back. Awful, awful yeah. Um, but yeah, sleep is just something that I really noticed. And that really heals you as well. Mm-hmm. You know, your body needs sleep. and you It's need- underrated, isn't it? Sleep, good sleep is oh, underrated. Yeah. I know some people never have issues with sleep, but if you haven't had proper sleep for 15 years, then yeah, it, yeah I'm just loving it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, it's, it's the same for me. It's so normal to have uh, 10 out of 10 sleep every night now that even if I get a night where the kids are waking up or if I'm unwell or, you know, for whatever reason, I'm anxious about something which comes and goes, but it's not, it's not my norm, then I think, God, I slept so badly and I really feel yeah. the difference, you, you know. Don't you just wonder, you're like, how did I do this every night? I know. It's great to actually really know what is going on with your body. Yeah. Uh, and worry about the stuff you're putting into it as well. Yeah. Um, irritatingly, I, because um, I had my third baby and I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I really struggled after number three. The first two were fine. I lost weight pretty easily. Um, but the third one was really difficult. And then obviously with lockdown. So I ended up being on, on weight after I had him, but also that was probably the, the bottles of wine every night. Yeah. Um, but in my first six months of being sober, I have actually put on weight. Yeah, so I, I think that can be quite normal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also, I think that's, I want to distract myself, you know, when the kids are having their tea, which is when I'd normally be having like a glass of wine, my first mm. glass of wine at five, six o'clock. Um, now I'm just like, okay, well, not now actually, but up to about six months, I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll have a packet of crisps or I'll have mm. a, you know, something, something easy or a biscuit or something. Um, but really in the last couple of months, I've had the mental capacity and, that I actually really going to do something about that. Yeah. Um, so I just joined Slimming World actually three oh, weeks ago. Fab. <laughs> and I've yeah. lost eight pounds. Oh, so well done. So I'm really pleased with that. So That's brilliant. I, I didn't feel like I could deal with that. I was like, I'm dealing with my drinking. I will get to, you know, yes. the weight because mm. I'm now in a place where I can deal with it because I couldn't before. It was all just yeah. too much. Yeah, and I think I think you've done a really, really good thing there. Though you obviously are, um, you're quite good at identifying what you need. You know, you're quite kind of self sufficient in that way. Because I think people freak out when they stop drinking because the sugar or just eating, eating through boredom, um, or like you say, just trying to replace that ritual. Um, okay, I won't have a glass of wine. I'll have something else that's sort of like, you know, it's going to cha- almost change change your brain in a way. Like if you have a bit of sugar or something, that gives you a bit of a high. And I think that's why people tend to gravitate more to the sugar, the ice cream, the chocolate and things. But I think you're spot on with your approach. Like you've got to just get rid of the alcohol first. Like you cannot do everything at once. It's like for me, I vaped as well. So I smoked all of my... Uh, adult life I started smoking at 14 and I smoked up until I I think I started I I stopped smoking cigarettes at around 
uh, 39 and in favor of vaping. So that's a long time smoking. It blows my mind that I spent so long smoking. But um, but then I had, but then I was vaping and I was vaping all the time. When I stopped drinking, I was just vaping, 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 eating sugar, vaping. And I just thought, I'm just going to focus on the alcohol because I cannot give up. I cannot stop eating sugar and stop vaping and do it because otherwise I know I'll fail if I make it too hard for myself. So I, I try to give that advice to, to other people that ask me when they say, I'm two weeks into sobriety and I can't stop eating chocolate. I say, just eat it. <laughs> just like 100%. come back to it. Don't worry about that right now. It's too much, isn't it? Yes. To deal with everything at once. And when you are drinking, you can feel so overwhelmed. You know, that's a really you know, I used that word a lot in early sobriety. I felt, you know, overwhelmed when I was drinking. Um, and you do, you need to break it down. What can I do? So I know that drinking was the main issue. So I dealt with that. And now I'm, you know, my mind is clear. I'm now able to um, focus on the, on the, you know, weight loss. It's not yeah. a huge amount that I need to lose, but I need to lose, you know, a couple of stone. Um, that probably does sound like a lot, actually. But, um, but yeah. No, so I mean, you've done eight pounds already, which is, <laughs> exactly. you know. I'm really halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> but when you focus on something, you know, like you've focused on um, sobriety and you're obviously feeling in a, in, in, a, in a better place. I was the same. It was about eight or nine months for me that I um, started to try and lose a bit of weight because I put weight on through sugar when, when I first stopped drinking. And I just, I used my fitness pal, um, the free app to track calories. And I just said to myself, right, I know that if I need to lose weight, I need to try and keep it to 1500 calories. So I'm just going to stick to that and try and do some more exercise. And that was that was my strategy. Um, but yeah, once you focus on it, then it's it's easier, isn't it? When you've got the space to, to focus on it and really go for it. And you've already done that. You lost eight pounds already. It's That's fantastic. Imagine what you're going to be like by the end of the summer. You probably have lost all your weight. Uh, well, that's the thing. I've got two holidays uh, this year for the first time in well, we haven't been away, you know, for four years. Um, so that will be, you know, interesting. And I'm not worried about, you know, they're not drinking. My husband's been super supportive. He's basically has, he's had a couple of drinks, few, he's been out a few times. Um, and he'll have, you know, one or two beers. Um, and then he's been feeling awful just after a couple of beers, but there's no alcohol in the house. Like even at Christmas, we, um, my sister was here with her two children who are teenagers. And I just said, there's no, I'm really sorry, but there's no, you know, there's no booze. Um, there's no wine because I don't want to be triggered by that and that's the other thing actually I really am finding it difficult if I'm ever around drunk people I at the moment I need to I'm very triggered by that I need to remove myself immediately from that situation yeah um hasn't been that many but uh if we've been at you know a a dinner party or a drinks party around Christmas time I just remove myself from that situation if my husband wants to stay that's absolutely fine he can stay for for a couple um but I just you know I come home and um pleased that I'll be I don't need to cancel any plans the next day yeah absolutely that's good boundaries though isn't it you know that's really good boundary management you know what works for you you're aware of your triggers and you're taking yourself away from situations that are going to yeah to trigger you and I think that's that's taking ownership isn't it of sobriety and I think that's one of the things I don't know about you but in the early days that's really difficult to find your feet in I think when you get social invitations and you're in early sobriety and you want to go because you want to you don't want to miss out there's the FOMO element um you also don't want to let your friends down or then there's the people please element and you sometimes say yes to those sorts of things but if you don't have enough strength in your sober muscles you can get very quickly caught off guard and um, that can be that can really rock early sobriety I think so I think that's one of the things being able to identify what the triggers are but not only that being able to say actually that's going to be no good for me I'm not going to that thing or I'm going to decline that or I'm going to go but as soon as it gets a bit dodgy I'm getting out there (laughs) I think that that is absolutely putting yourself first yeah and I've learned to do that I was a real people pleaser before and I have really learned to you know I know what my triggers are I know what I don't want to be around I also know what I kind of won't tolerate as well Um, and I do just take myself out of those situations um I 
I have to say for the first probably three or four months, I did say no to things. You know, I did have, if I had to make excuses, I did make excuses. Mm. Um, and it's just quite easy time to do it kind of May, June, July anyway, because August, most people, are, some people are away and things are you know, you're busy and there's sort of a lot going on. Mm. Um, and I was, I was initially dreading that kind of, how am I going to do a whole summer without, mm. you know, a glass of rosé in the garden with a barbecue? Like what? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I did it. And now, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to another summer. Yeah. Um, I manage Christmas. I manage my birthday. I manage my mom's anniversary. I manage, you know, all of these different big events, which normally, uh, I'd be drinking on either for good good reasons because it's exciting because it's your birthday or mm-hmm. you know something that just needs to get me through like my mum's you know she'll it'll be 20 years in October this year mm. um and that seems like you know it's such a long time 20 yeah. years but when I was drinking it was I really felt like it was I was still grieving you know and I shouldn't have been in that sort of um, bubble of, of grief after, you know, 18, 19 years. I should have been able to kind of, you know, put that to bed gently and, um, and, mo- and move on. Um, remember her, but, you know, this is my future. Um, and yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't able to do that at all. Yeah. Yeah. God, 20 years. That's it's, it's an astounding amount of time, isn't it? When you, when you put it like that. What do you think was the hardest bit for you getting sober? Yeah, so I think for me, um, I wasn't ever able to moderate. You know, that was very clear. Um, I I tried repeatedly. Um, I didn't want to do the white knuckling kind of cold turkey aspect because that's what I I just wasn't able to manage that, which is why AA has helped me so much. Um, because honestly, it was just like a, a switch in my head. Like, I don't actually want to drink now. I actually don't. You know, before there was that sort of craving element, um, which I just haven't had. The hardest part was probably for me around month five. Um, I don't think a, a specific thing happened but I did go into my first sort of cycle of anxiety and then down into really deep depression um, with suicidal thoughts, um, which I was really upset by because I thought the drinking would mm. or the not drinking would have dealt with that. And I thought I was so pleased because I was on this sort of pink cloud for the first three or four months that when I went down into this depression I felt really sort of let down I was like I really believed that I was better mm. um, but actually that only lasted for a few days and I'm now obviously nine months today um I haven't had any I've had a little bit of a spike in anxiety here or there certain situations or or something but I have been able to deal with them a lot better I've been doing mm. quite a lot of breath work um, I've just started meditation, um, which I was never able to do again with a busy head. Um, mm. I've just started reformer Pilates again, which I haven't done for about seven years. Oh, I um, love Pilates. Oh, I love it. And it is, yeah. you know, the reformer Pilates is quite expensive, but I'm kind of thinking, well, I'm not buying the wine, you know, I'm not yeah. spending, you know, for investment, years. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And help my body and help my mind. Yeah. That's, you know, 100%. Um, so even if, you know, when you do have those sort of difficult days or those sort of tricky times, which, yeah, for me were around the sort of five-month mark, yeah. um, things always get better. And yeah. so much better as well. And I can't wait to see where I am, you know, sort of even in another three or four months, you know, I just, I can't wait because if then my, my life has changed so hugely over the last nine months that yeah in another nine months I just I'm so excited now oh that's so nice and it's I I genuinely genuinely think that it just gets better and better as well 
It, it does. How I felt a year in was great. How I felt two years was even greater and three years just better. It just keeps getting better and better, I think. I'm so excited um, for that. I really am. Yeah. And I've never had, before, I never really had a huge sort of zest for life. And I'd had, I was always like, oh, I don't really have anything to look forward to unless we go on holiday or something or unless mm. we're going out for dinner and I can, you know, drink two bottles of wine and that's fine. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really have that now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, happy. I'm so much happier. Yeah. Um, content, I think. Content, contentment. Yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, what would your tips be to people um, getting sober or staying sober? What would you yeah. recommend? Well, I was. Do you know, what? I have been thinking about this, um, and it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's there's so many things. Yeah. Um, but I think the main, the key things for me is connection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you are drinking, it is lonely and it's a lonely place to be and you do feel isolated and alone. Well, I did anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really do think connection and whether you do that through AA or whether you do that by connecting on social media or whatever it may be, um, I really, really think connection is um, is vital and you aren't alone. You know, there are lots of people yeah. now um, thankfully, who are voicing how they feel and telling their stories. And yeah, so just make those connections where you can. Yeah. Um, I think you really need to focus on another reason. Um, another tip would be to really focus on um, the reasons why you want to get sober mm. um, and try really hard and remember how diff- however difficult it is to remember those awful feelings of self-loathing and those that horrible feeling when you've you know you're throwing up in the morning and you're having to cancel um plans and if you focus on that just don't forget that because it's sometimes easy isn't it you know you go month by month by month and these things sort of they go you know to the back of your head maybe a little bit and they're not so apparent and there Um, but I really think you need to sort of focus on that and just don't forget the reasons why you're giving up drinking. Um, and last time, last, lastly, for me, definitely, um, the one day at a time has really worked for me. Um, yeah. I know everybody, um, has their own way of dealing with things, but for me, um, I focus on today. I know that I'm going to go to bed at, uh, ridiculously early, probably, you know, 10, 10 30 after Love Island and I will be, asleep sober and it's just the best feeling I'm not worried about my birthday I'm not worried about Christmas I'm worried about today you know forever not drinking feels like a lot doesn't it I mean it's Mm. that's sometimes really overwhelming but if you stay sober for one day then you're you know you're doing it your second point was was really really good and I would go as far as to say really spend some time writing down your whys write down all of those dark things that that you've got from your drinking or that you are trying to leave behind what are all those feelings that you felt what are all those situations that you can remember and just really articulate that and try to put it on paper because that links really nicely to what you were saying as well that sometimes you can forget that and sometimes I post about this the fading effect bias which is our brain is wired to forget the intensity of the sting of those situations over time and that's where that phrase looking back through rose-tinted glasses comes from you know if if you're not careful um and this links is also to complacency and sobriety if you're not careful you might get to a point where suddenly your brain's saying well it wasn't that bad and that's why your whys are so key I think because if you've got them in front of you and you're doing your what I would recommend your daily practice work which is either a bit of reading or podcasts or connecting with community whatever it is you do a little bit every day then you can hopefully kind of keep that fading effect bias and that complacency at bay. And I think that's important because I think that can catch people out. Even several months in, sometimes that can, you know, that can catch people out. So, um, yeah, very, very, very good tips. Love those. Awesome. So if you're open to it, how can we follow your journey? Yes. So um, I have got an insert uh Instagram account. Um, it's sober.learning. Um, I haven't uh, had it for very long. So 
Um, my, I am going to work on some of my content, but yeah, I'd love people to follow me or find me on there. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to help other people. Oh, sounds absolutely brilliant. Um, it's been such a lovely chat. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your authenticity, for being open, for being brave. It's not easy to share those sorts of things, but um, I, I'm, I'm delighted that we got the chance to do this. And also, hopefully this will help other people as well. And I do think there is something about that in sobriety when you can give back. It just, it's more healing, I think. I think that's really really helpful um and it's really important as well um yeah. and i think when you listen to other people and you can find the similarities as well um yeah. and things that you can identify and that's where you're going to get the help and i think that's really really an important message but yeah thank you so much terry it's been really lovely just chatting to you it's like being chatting to a friend so thank you so much oh absolute pleasure thank you and thank you to everyone else until next time bye you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on instagram by sending a message to at sassy sober mum you can also find helpful tools and resources on my website sassysobermum.com if you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love please like share and rate the podcast I really look forward to next time. See you then.